Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. So this episode is brought to you by NorthPass Business. Against small businesses and startups, they often work with limited resources and reduce costs wherever possible. While this is sometimes practical, cybersecurity is one area where you don't want to cut corners. Creating strong, unique passwords for your company's accounts is a surefire way to defend your business from data breaches. However, with the number of personal and work logins we use daily, it's very easy to get password fatigue, leading to reusing the same passwords across accounts. So NordPass Business is a powerful password manager for organizations that removes the difficulty of generating and remembering strong passwords for you and your colleagues. Additionally, it allows for you to integrate single sign-on with your company's Google Workspace accounts and effortlessly create groups to share sensitive information across teams and projects. So see NordPass Business in action now with a three-month free trial by going to nordpass.com forward slash Pantera and use the code Pantera. This episode is brought to you by Basecamp. So Basecamp is a project management and team communication application that has been around for about 18 years, and it's used by thousands of companies today. Basecamp is all about simplicity. It is designed to give you and your team the tools you need to get work done. They have message boards, to-dos, file storage, chat calendar, and much more. Basecamp is built to help you in getting out of your way and let you focus on what matters. Again, you know, like when you're adding a bunch of people, there's a bunch of files that need to be shared. You need to be effective. And that's where Basecamp comes in. They actually are from the guys that brought to you 37 signals. And really, they help in making decisions simple and also effective. So go to Basecamp. Their pricing is simple and they give you the all, all really the features in a single plan. No upsells, no upgrades. Go to Basecamp.com forward slash dealmakers and try Basecamp for free. No credit card required and cancel at any time. Thank you, Basecamp, for sponsoring this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have a very exciting founder, you know, a founder that, you know, has a, you know, experience being on the good side of entrepreneurship. Also before, you know, not so much, but they obviously he learned a lot. And we're going to be talking about that quite a bit. It's as they say, you either succeed or you learn. But he learned quite a bit because he's on a rocket ship right now. So again, building, scaling, financing, all the good stuff that we like to hear. So let's not wait any longer. Let's welcome our guest today, Luca Ferrari. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. A pleasure. So originally born in Italy, hey, Luca, you were there born in a small town with just 900 people. So give us a little of a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up? Right. A very simple life. Um, small town, mostly farmers, simple jobs, nothing fancy. Grew up with a lot of dreams, but not a lot of, uh, let's say, exposure to big dreams having been realized. So a small world. But loving parents kept questioning why I existed, what the meaning of life was, out of strong urge to try to build something. But uh, definitely I realized at that stage. And what, what got you into engineering, out of all things, Luca? So I've always been a curious person, loved to learn when I was a 
five or six years old, I still remember telling my mom that my greatest dream w- was to to know everything, which is obviously impossible. So when the time came to decide what to study at university, I was pretty open-minded to consider literature, medicine, engineering, math, physics. Uh, ultimately, I think I had to take a leap of faith and I picked engineering because I thought it would be challenging from the point of view of, you know, logic, but also somewhat practical and just a better way of making a difference in the world. But I wasn't really uh, looking to necessarily be, you know, the stereotypical engineer uh, building things uh, on piece at a time. I've always liked to think abstractly and model the world in my head. So then I know that for you, you know, something really opened up when you went to Denmark to study abroad. I think that that perhaps opened up the worldview and I mean, the way that you were thinking about things. So what do you think opened up for you, you know, during, during that day, that experience? I think the, I'm, I feel pretty fortunate for my upbringing, uh, loving parents, you know, a peaceful life. Uh, the, the part that I certainly lacked was an exposure to the great achievements, how things get done uh, at scale, uh, ambition. And so I think uh, I, I had it strongly in me, I can tell in, in hindsight, but sometimes you need a trigger, you know, to understand how to go from a, an impulse, a feeling, a strength to an actual execution toward a goal. And, I, and going to Denmark uh, put me in a more international environment. I met people who, you know, started introducing me to interesting online publications where uh, the topics were entrepreneurship or technology. And I just immediately dawned on me that that was what I wanted to do probably the rest of my life. It was like a vocation I'd always had that that clicked. Like, this is what I felt as a 10-year-old, this urge to build something, to imagine a future that doesn't exist and try to achieve it with others. The team part is very important to me. It just dawned on me, this is it. This is what I'm going to do. It was obvious when I saw it. But before, I didn't even know what... Had you asked me at age 18 what entrepreneurship is, I wouldn't have been able to even tell you what the word meant. Never met anybody who had met an entrepreneur, ever. But yeah, because obviously, you know, Italy, you know, like anywhere in Europe now, startups, you know, they've, uh, you know, taken a really popular role. But uh, back then, it was either you will become a, a doctor or a lawyer or a banker. So, um, so, so I totally can understand that. Now, for you, being in university, I mean, that was no barrier for you to, to really go at it as an entrepreneur. And that's when you started your first company. So how, how did you guys, you know, really come together? Uh, and what was that process of, hey, you know, I think that maybe this is something interesting. Let's go at it with it. Uh, so that's, uh, there's, it, it all starts with, uh, it's sliding doors, right? So first I end up in this double degree program with uh, another, another guy. Um, we both end up being selected uh, five out of, I, I think, over 100 people applied. And then we end up in the same country and in Denmark and study together, become fast friends. And I think we both had uh, an act for entrepreneurship and interest in it. Uh, then I, I got a pneumonia early on in my stay in Denmark. And after three weeks that I'm sick and this friend of mine is just staying at home with me, uh, he tells me, hey, I think it was a Saturday night. He tells me I'm sick and tired of being at home um, with you, I just want to go downtown and 
and and have some fun. And so he does, and he meets the you know another guy uh, who ends up being our our co-founder. So you know we we spend time together, we we like one another, and uh, we start thinking, particularly during a, a certain trip abroad, we start dreaming of building a company, and and uh, and we have an idea at the time. The idea was to build the first self, and still it would be you know the only I, nobody has done it yet. The first self-writing diary of a user's life. Um, very difficult technical problem, and uh, we decided to try to to crack it. So that was late in our university years, and uh, this third guy he was having a um, he was studying for a PhD, whereas myself and the other person we we were about to graduate from our uh, master of science, and but we had no money, so we you know we chose to. That one of us would get a job and then share uh, their salary to pay for rent and living expenses. I got the best offer, which was from McKinsey, uh, to be a strategy consultant. So I went there. I remember telling my boss at the time that I had this startup and that I intended to quit at some point once we would get funding. And if it was okay, and it was very gracious, I must say, he said, okay, we want to have you anyway at, at McKinsey. And uh, so the PhD guy dropped out. And so... He, he and the other one were working full time on a prototype for this idea, whereas I was working at McKinsey and then in the night and in the weekends helping with the startup. And about I think a year later, we got funding half a million euros, which at the time felt like an incredible amount of money. Uh, and so I resigned, and three months later, I joined full time. And then I like to joke that I was able to significantly speed up the failure process because about a year later we had to to shut it down now now there what what why do you think it was so difficult raising money what what were some of the hurdles that you guys were experiencing first of all europe at the time we're talking 2010 was certainly not like a bc hub uh the nordics much better than italy thankfully we were in denmark at the time because we had just graduated uh but there was just not a lot of capital. Things have improved incredibly over the subsequent 10 years or so, but at the time, very difficult. Also, we had no clue what we were doing. I mean, never written a business plan, never pitched anything. Uh, so just incompetence on our end. Uh, but we got some help, met with a lot of investors. Ultimately, someone believed in us. Nice. Now, for you guys, the road you know, was a little bit bumpy with Evertail. So at what point do you realize, hey, Guys, you know, I think that this is not going to work. I think that maybe we should pull the plug. Well, it, it never looked, after the initial honeymoon period, it never looked like it was going to work, but it didn't look like it was a for sure a failure either until a couple of years into the project when we were already running out of money and uh, expecting a tax refund from the Danish government. And then the government delayed the refund for whatever reason, I don't remember now what the law said at the time. It's been ages, but uh, that basically put us out of business right away. So we had to uh, shut down the company. We had a team of 12, I believe. And so we we asked the two people who we deemed most essential to try and again to build a company to stay on board and co-found a new company. And then we were quite fortunate because we had about 40,000 euros left in the bank. And that was, I, I, I think it was our, our VCs 
because of some liquidation preference, but nobody wanted to, I mean, on their end, nobody wanted to, to take the the pains of going through a liquidation pro- process, which would uh, imply bigger legal expenses than the money they were going to take out. And so they basically told us, you can keep the money and whatever. So we, we shut down the company. We found ourselves with a little bit less than 40,000 euros. And that was the seed capital for Bending Spoons. And we're talking probably about the summer of 2013. So a bit a bit over nine years ago. Now, how was that transition like? Because obviously at this point, you you guys are probably, you know, not feeling too great, you know, after, you know, having had those conversations, you know, uh, perhaps the disappointment. Um, how was that transition to, hey, you know, uh, why don't we just do something else? And, 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 and then and then what was that process like until you guys were like, OK, I think that we got this next idea, which ended up becoming bending sports. Interestingly. Emotionally speaking, it was much easier to fail than to be failing. Uh, The way I felt as it became obvious that we had to put an end to it was actually a lot of relief. I felt we've made so many mistakes and I was so eager to try again. And it felt like being able to go from a blank slate was going to be liberating as opposed to trying to fix something that's broken. So actually a lot of relief and energy in trying again. Then I think it got quite hard. So we never a doubt that we wanted to, to give it a second shot. I, the, the, I think the peak of the, like the hardest moment, one of the hardest moments for me of my whole professional career was soon after we started Bending Spoons, when things were not necessarily going very well. I had these, I think you can call it fear that we were going to fail once again. And I've always hated failing i think many people do and, and and so i was looking at how things were going and i'm and i'm like you know maybe we maybe we fail again and that would be such an indictment of incompetence or lack of talent uh, so that was difficult i remember crying a couple of times at that stage so we'll get back to our conversation in a minute but if you're an entrepreneur or a sales leader you want to listen to this let me tell you about wingman not no, 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 Tom Cruise. Wingman is a conversation intelligence tool that helps folks like you coach and scale up their sales teams really fast, really easy. Now, I know you know scaling is not just about hiring. Getting the team up to speed can be the real speed bump. Well, Wingman can help you in getting that. It lets you build call libraries with game tapes relevant to every sales situation, complete with highlights and notes, and it's Asynchronous, I mean, repeatable sales training engine. Not just that, Wingman even helps during sales calls with contextual battle cards and monologue alerts. The great thing about Wingman is that it plays nice with all your existing tools like Salesforce, HubSpot, Zoom, Teams, and Google. It even syncs up with Slack so you don't have to log into your CRM all the time for deal updates. So head over to trywingman.com to give it a try. That is T-R-Y-W-I-N-G-M-A-N.com is just the wingman your sales needs to really predictably beat revenue targets quarter after quarter. This episode is brought to you by Partner Hero, which provides customer service outsourcing that's built for the needs of scaling and high-growth startups. They offer flexible terms, fast onboarding, and the ability to scale teams quickly. Perfect for fast-growing business. I mean, let's face it, you know, you're all startups. 
You know, it's time for you to really stop trying to do absolutely everything. You need to get yourself out of the supporting box so you can actually focus on growing your business. So again, Partner Hero is flexible. They have quality assurance. They have offices around the world to really provide that help and support that you need. And if you're ready to bring in outside customer support help for your startup that feels like it's part of your existing team, then check out Partner Hero. Head over to partnerhero.com forward slash dealmakers to book a free consultation with their solutions team and mention that you heard about Partner Hero from dealmakers and they'll waive the setup fee. What about failure didn't you like? Because I know obviously in, in Europe, failure is looked at a little bit different. You know, in the U.S., they clap and they encourage you to get back up. You know, unfortunately in Europe, they point at you when you fail. So what piece about failure didn't you like? You know, these, these things are very, they have deep psychological roots. It's not that you rationalize them all that much. I think deep down, I'm probably insecure and I've always measured myself um, based on the impact I have, whether I achieve difficult goals, whether others I admire and who know me think I'm great at what I do. And and naturally, I mean, when there is a, pa- a pattern of failing, it's hard to keep your confidence high uh, if that's your, your yardstick, you know? So what did you do to quiet that voice? You know, because obviously it's kind of like a voice, right? So so what did you do to quiet that and to keep pushing? So I think part of that is you're just tenacious. I think for an entrepreneur, you have to have that. Or if you don't have it, you have to find a way to, to, to produce it in you. Uh, because you're going to have different levels of failure pretty much every week you have to keep going people will come to you for support so i guess i was fortunate enough to have some of that in me for whatever reason i don't know we can try to psychoanalyze my history but i had that i was pretty fortunate to be working with people who had that too and the good thing about being part of a team is that you are unlikely to be down or as down the same day so one day i'm more depressed and the other guy helps me he lifts me up a little bit uh, and then I do the same for him next week, you know, so that helped. And then the third part to me was just the bond, the loyalty to the common project with these other people. I already at that point called uh, very good friends. I just felt that failing with someone you, you love working with, you respect, you, you're basically deciding you want to spend your life with in a way professionally it might be even better than, than succeeding alone in some way. So that gave me, I think, emotional strength to just look past that and appreciate the value of the moment. So at what point, uh, Luca, do you realize, hey, I think that we're turning a corner here. I think that we're into something. Benisbos was never an overnight success. It's not that it has been a a rock a hockey stick we've had many many wins many losses uh just the wins have overall outweighed the losses so you know some apps early on that had some success but something that by today's standards would look ridiculous but then on top of that success you reinvest you build more confidence you build better technologies you try harder and then there is a bigger success to be honest 
I, I, I don't think there's ever been, you know, one moment where we clearly felt, okay, you know, this is happening. It was truly, truly incremental, a lot of small steps and hard work all the way to where we are now. And for the people that are listening, what ended up being the business model of Bending Spoons? So our dream or mission, so to say, from the beginning was to build or, or strive to build one of the best companies of all time, an institution, a true inspiration for other entrepreneurs, for people, a company that put, you know, brings to the market incredible products, very successful products, uh, high value products, and uh, creates a ton of incredible jobs. Um, so we were never primarily motivated by solving a particular problem or building a particular product. And so our strategy in line with that broader vision and mission was to build a platform, a platform optimized for launching or acquiring and then further building and scaling a variety of digital products. So you can, you can, you could say metaphorically that we focus on building the machine uh, that builds products or that builds machines as opposed to building the product directly. So we focused on developing tech that helps build and scale products. We focused on building know-how for building and scaling products. We focused on building an employer brand that would enable us to attract incredible talent to build and scale products, so on and so forth. That's our platform. A pretty unusual approach. I like to describe Bending Spoons as Google makes a baby with Amazon and Berkshire Hathaway. Where Google, you have the love of technology, Amazon, the love of efficiency, and Berkshire Hathaway, the love of uh, efficient capital allocation, including acquisition. So that's a little bit our DNA. Always has been a little bit weird, but we love it. So today we have built a portfolio of, of digital products, primarily mobile apps. Over half a billion people have used them at some point, and now we have over 100 million people using them each month. The, the most successful apps we have, I would say there's Splice, which is the number one mobile video editor in the world by, by revenues. We have Remini, number one AI-driven photo enhancer uh, in the world, over 40 million active users. Uh, several others, we have probably about eight to 10 relevant products. And how has it been the journey to, you know, as you're thinking about, you know, this intersection of... Um you know, products, efficient capital, um, you know, also the the efficient uh, uh, of, 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 of the way that you guys have uh, structured your team, which is, you know, mainly engineers. How do you, how, do, how did you guys go about raising capital for bending spools? Because obviously you had the experience from what you went through with Evertail. So how was it the experience? How much capital have you guys raised to date for the company? And then how has it been going from one cycle to the next? I would say, uh, in terms of equity, the company is bootstrapped. Uh, we actually never raised substantial equity. It's still all that 40,000 euro seed and then reinvesting earnings. Uh, what, what one reads in the news uh, has been, by and large, secondary rounds. So existing shareholders selling a little bit of shares, but it was not a capital increase. However, for financing, we have used a lot of debt over the years from banks, just uh, straight debt. That has been possible because we've been able to be profitable every single year. So we have, because, you know, obviously if you're not profitable, you cannot pay, pay down debt that a bank uh, gives you. Got it. And on the debt side, I mean, have you guys uh, made any of that uh, public? Yeah, we, we have. I think we have raised uh, probably between equity and debt uh, different times, probably over $400 million. Got it. I would say probably a bit more than that, closer to half a billion, I presume. 
And just for the people that are listening, what are those secondaries? How do secondaries really work? Yeah, so there are two, two types of equity transactions. You have a primary, which means the company creates, let's say, an additional share. So it adds one slice to the cake and someone buys the share. And uh, the company gets cash, typically cash, let's say. I mean, it doesn't have to be, but generally cash in in, uh, in exchange for that additional share. And the you know cash is naturally somehow owned then uh, proportionally by each shareholder. And hopefully it gets put to good use so that it will create more value than adding the slice of the cake as reduced for existing shareholders. A secondary transaction is when an existing shareholder sells you know, one or more of their shares to someone else. So uh, at a company level, there is no change in either number of shares or uh, capital available, uh, simply a change of uh, ownership, let's say, of, of some of the equity. And in terms of scale, I mean, you guys have, have done, you know, like really crazy stuff. I mean, even a few weeks ago, you guys were scaling like crazy from like 1,000 GPUs to like over 50,000. So can you explain what are those GPUs and, and also like why was so challenging that type of scale? Right. So we, we, we specialize in artificial intelligence. It's one of the key legs of our table, so to say. And uh, about a week ago, uh, one of our apps uh, really took off. It's called Dawn AI. It's for... Uh, it's an app for generative AI. It creates images from textual prompts or sketch prompts or even your own photos. It's quite magical. It uses, it's based on uh, some open source neural networks um, and uh, and then a lot of proprietary stuff on top. And, uh, and so the app uh, started growing really rapidly. Uh, to the point that now, after a few days, it's the most downloaded app as we speak in the Western Hemisphere, getting over a million new users a day. And the challenge there is that to serve users, every user to do that image generation through AI, you have a massive amount of computation to do. And uh, an efficient way of doing computation with with the neural networks is to use uh, GPUs that in principle, the same hardware you used to play video games when you want to have really good graphics. Uh, people may remember buying NVIDIA GPUs to play some games they love at you know, really high resolution or whatnot. Uh, but these are specific GPUs. It means graphic uh, processor unit built to maximize the computational efficiency for, for training and, 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 uh, and running these uh, neural networks. So to, to scale to from a few thousand users to millions of users, we had to scale from about a thousand of these GPUs to 50,000. And we did that in about two days, which is a feat of rare difficulty. Uh, we worked on it with, uh, with Google particularly, and it was, uh, it was massively difficult. I mean, both, both on our end and on the, on Google with Google Cloud, we worked literally day and night for days. Nobody was sleeping. It was, it, but it was fun. I mean, that's what you live for as a technologist and entrepreneur. You want to have that sort of success with the, yeah, no kidding. Uh, no with kidding. your apps. Now, now for you guys, I mean, imagine you were to go to sleep tonight, Luca, and you wake up in a world where the vision of bending spoons is fully realized. What does that world look like? Well, like I said before, bending spoons is a company that has raised the bar uh, for what a company can be. It has helped. I, ideally, millions of 
of people work there achieving heights they didn't think were possible for them, whether it's in terms of competencies or even dearer to me in terms of their human values, you know, really grow as a human being, become a better collaborator, a more altruistic person. Uh, it's a company that has brought to the market truly transformational products. We have not so far. I'm very proud of the products we have. They're commercially very successful and very useful to, as I said, over 100 million recurring users. Still, you know, I'd love for us one day to have built something of the caliber of what Tesla has done, right? Those things that really changed the world in a way. So that we have not accomplished at all. And we really hope we'd be smart enough, hardworking enough and lucky enough to get there at some point. Uh, so in the, you know, in the, in the dream realized that's certainly something that we have done. And then, uh, yeah, we just, uh, were old and, uh, but proud of our contribution. Again, we, we're not proud yet, but. We work toward that. And obviously, you know, now with Bending Spoons, I mean, this is your second rodeo. Uh, you've been at it for nine years. Uh, you had your previous experience with Evertel. Uh, so if you had the opportunity, Luca, of going back in time and having a chat with your younger self, perhaps that younger Luca that was still in university and, you know, now, you know, had these uh, two bodies that... Uh, you know, we're thinking about like maybe like uh, covering that gap that you were seeing in the future. If you had that chance of sitting down with that younger Luca and giving that younger Luca one piece of advice before launching a company, what would that be and why, given what you know now? Well, there's a lot of that. One would be start earlier. I think I may, I might have studied less and gotten to get my hands dirty a bit earlier than I did. Another one would be to think harder and longer before we jump into the fray. I think there is a, a myth when it comes to entrepreneurship where they tell you you have to be go with your gut, you know, get into it. Uh, actually, the more I get experienced, the more I think that it's better to think your plan through before executing. It's way cheaper to improve your vision strategy plan than uh, it is to execute a suboptimal plan, fail and adjust. G generally, you invest 1% of the time planning and 99% executing. So I would say 10x the time you invest in thinking things through before you do them. I love Arguably, it. we could have avoided a lot of mistakes with Evertail had we thought about it harder. But we were so enthusiastic, we just got to work. Hey, well, that happens all the time. But uh, look at you now, Luca. What an incredible story! So, for the people that are that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Well, I can send an email. I guess my my email is my initials lf at bendingspoons.com. Uh, I try to reply to all emails or at least as many as I can, but generally all of them. So. Amazing. Well, hey, Luca. Thank you so so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. It has been. An honor to have you with us. Likewise. Thank you for having me. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com.
You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.